Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, We're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. exciting news that I think we should shout about. We bought a building this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's such a crazy thing for me. Um, we uh, we you know we've been on a journey for quite a while as a community. I think I've shared with you that early on I had met a um, pastor, uh, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, but I'll share it again, uh, from Sojourn Church named Terry Moore. And he told me, and this word applies to our community, he said, uh, you know, we do things, we emulate what Gateway does, what Bethel does. And he said, most pastors, that's what they're called to do. They're called to emulate something that is that exists. And he said, um, I don't think that's true about you. I think God's called you to be a pioneer. And that's when he said, "It's so it's probably going to take you 15 years to figure it out, what you're doing. We're in our 15th, you know, we're coming up on our 15th year. Um, we're in, you know, not quite 14 years in, but we're coming up on our 15th year. And I do believe that this is a special prophetic time for a community. Um, I think that in my journey, there I have been through different phases of how God works through resources. Um, you you have this thing in our in our society where we overvalue like consumeristic material goods, and so you kind of have to let go. In our society, it's one of the things that I think we become confronted with is that there's an idolatry of consumerism. And so you have to have a little bit of a letting go of, of that. Um, but in that, you can, actually, you can actually diminish the resources that God gives you as, as sort of seeing them as tertiary or not important. Um, but when God gives us resources, whether financial or material resources to use for the kingdom, it's a big deal. It's not insignificant. And I think that this coming into this is a really important time for our community. One of the things I could say about our community is that everyone uh, here has been, uh, people ask me about this church uh, when I go on business trips or I talk to people from outside of our community. People like, so tell me about your community. And I'm like, you know, I was like, the way I would describe it is that the people who come and stay are genuine people who are on a journey. 
And that's, that's where we've been. We've been a community on a journey um, that doesn't have all the answers, but isn't sort of just satisfied staying where we are. And I mean, if you resonate, like many of many people here, you came on that journey. Like you came like longing for something. And I, I do believe that it's a season. I felt like the Lord told me about a month ago ahead of this process. He said, this is going to be a season where you're going to enter into a time of peace and a time of fruitfulness and abundance. And I just believe that this is a time that God's going to stir up calling. Uh, one of the things that the Lord told me, I, I shared this briefly, but I want to share, share this also again. Um, I, I shared a vision that, that the Lord showed me about the building, but one, one morning last year, I walked out of my house on a Sunday morning and you know, the bank that we rent from sent me a letter to my doorstep on Sunday morning overnight mail that said, uh, we're going to raise your rent. I was like, well, that's jarring in the morning. And uh, before I was about to preach, and, but immediately the Lord had released a faith in me that this was time. It was coming a time of shifting um, our community into space. But the Lord told me really specifically, he said, this is not a journey you can go on alone. It's a journey that you have to go on as a family. And, and so we have been in that journey, but we're going to have to continue to go down that journey. And uh, I, I had planned on talking this morning through some of the financial um, things related to the church. And we um, been pressing with our CPA to get you know financials back, and I didn't get them back really till Saturday morning, which you know um, if you want to go through things thoroughly, it's not enough time, uh, one day turnaround. So uh, what we decided to do is that I'm we're going to do two things. This next Sunday, I'm going to give a little bit of a high level of what God is leading us into, um, and kind of like where where we're going. Um, both financially and with the building, practically speaking. Um, we are also going to create a video that I think will be about a 15-minute long video. And in that video, I'm going to explain um, in more detail um, the, you know, the financials of the church. This is something that we haven't done annually, but that we will start doing annually every year, is that we will just, all of our financial data is, is available for people who want to inquire about it but because um, you know things were relatively small and there weren't a lot of financial burdens it's just not a thing that we've had a big issue about but we feel that with this shift it's appropriate that we have you remember guys grew up with business meetings <laughs> yes we will provide some input of that every year the difference in our business meetings is if you grew up like assembly of god or baptist you know, that was the time where everybody voted and, you know, people would make, make movements to get the carpet to go this direction or, you know, get the something installed. That's not this kind of business meeting. Um, <laughs> there's no quorum. That's right. Um, we, won't have a, we won't have a church vote for carpet color. Um, but we do want to do a good job of reporting and to, to you guys how, how we steward money. And so you will, we will give you more information on that. Um, 
But at the beginning of this year, I wrote a letter. If, how many of you guys remember the letter I wrote? I if you didn't get one, please let me know. It's, I've never written a letter to a church. We weren't like looking, we weren't at that point in any negotiation with the building or anything like that. But the Lord put on my heart to write a letter to our church body. And in the, in the letter, I felt like the Lord said it was going to be a year where he was going to be teaching people how we discern commitment. Um, and, and we are going to invite the church into that financially, um, that we, uh, we're going to propose what we're doing, and we're going to give people opportunity over the next few weeks to take some reflective time about praying about how God will ask you to sow financially into what we're doing. And what I've promised you, and I, and I will stick with this, is, is that this will not be, um, we will not have a building campaign that consumes the time of this service, that consumes uh, what we do. We will share it. We will give a few weeks to process it. And then we will give people a chance to respond. And every couple few months, we will give, you know, we may, we may give another update, but there won't be, you know, a thermometer out front in the door. We're one dollar closer. Um, I keep saying this because I just want you to understand I've been in places where it consumes the focus. But here's the key, too, and this is what the Lord's challenging me on. It does matter. It does matter us partnering our hearts, our resources financially, not just me, but all of us. And Andrew and I made a decision that, um, that you know, we're, we're going to continue to sow into this as well, uh, above and beyond what, what, what we feel like we're already to do. And so that's going to be coming out. But, here, but here's, I want to take you, at the beginning of this year, we started praying through Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61, because we felt like the Lord was calling us as a community to learn how we care for the least of these. Isaiah 61 opens with, with the prophet Isaiah speaking about, I believe, the ministry of Jesus, which is the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he goes on and he, on, he talks about um, how he's going to be restoring and drawing these in who are hurting, who are brokenhearted, who are poor, who are suffering. And there gets to the, in the middle of Isaiah, there's the verse that the Lord highlighted to me the week before we closed on the building. It says that they will rebuild ancient ruins. These are the people who were mourning, hurting, suffering, exiled. These are the hurting people. It says they will rebuild ancient ruins. They will restore places long devastated. They will renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And I felt like the Lord, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, what you're doing, and this is a, it's a financial thing, it's a spiritual thing, and it's a practical thing, is that I'm calling you into a season where you're calling people to rebuild, to restore, and renew in an area. And we haven't chosen to go, as many of you know, like, you know, there's a bazillion church plants that are north of Dallas in a growing upper middle class neighborhood. And that's not where we've chosen to go as a community. Um, but we believe that God has called us to rebuild, restore, and renew. And I think that that is something that is going to cost us something in terms of our own uh, 
just time, emotional, financial, otherwise investment. And, and so I just, I want, I want you to catch a little bit of the heart of that, is that I think that this is a time of rebuilding, restoring, and renewing ruined cities and those that have been devastated for long generations. And I, um, I believe that God's going to do that through this process. And the beautiful thing about this text is it's the mourning, the hurting, the suffering, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive. It's all those people that Isaiah 61 says, become the oaks of righteousness who rebuild the cities. It's not like the awesome people. You know, like, I grew up with, um, I, I grew up with the DC superhero stories. And Marvel is all the rage right now. But maybe like you, I grew up watching Batman and Superman. And Superman came from a generation that loved the idea of being just impeccably strong in every situation. And Superman is very hard to resonate in our culture because he's kind of like, he just can do everything. He's just, he, there's this random green rock that makes him get hurt. But other than that, he can lift buildings. And I, but I sell that to say, like, we don't have a gospel that's looking for Superman. We, ha we have a gospel that's looking for hurting, broken, suffering people to restore them that they might be the rebuilders of the places devastated and places that need renewing. Yeah, yeah. And so I, we're not looking for an army of supermen. We're looking for, you know, uh, the valley of dry bones that God will come and speak his spirit upon and they will become the flesh of a mighty army. And I believe that is the community that we have here and that's the community that we're going to. Amen? So people keep asking me this question. They say, are you excited about the building? And I, I have been answering this way. No. <laughs> I'm not excited because it feels like work to me. It's work to do it, and it's work to buy it. It's work to pay for it, and it's work to figure it out as we're trying to rebuild it. it just It's work. And I, and I feel like the few days ago, the Lord told me, he said, I want you to be excited. <laughs> I want you to be full of joy. And I realize that the, there, there are years of our life that shape us to think in ways that aren't good. And some years ago, I preached a message that I probably should have preached it myself, but it's the, I probably did preach it myself, but it's, it's, it's this idea that when we grow and we think we're maturing, sometimes fear masquerades as wisdom. And we can get into this, we can get into this notion that the way that we become strong, the way that we become secure, is by being unmoved by everything. And I want to, um, I'm going to come back to this verse at the very end of our text, but how many of you know the really like most class this is like on all the bumper stickers it's like in your kids sunday school class let me remember the scripture the joy of the lord is my strength i feel like the lord wants to release joy right in this season he wants to release joy in the calling of god now i want to read to you from psalm 137 which is not a psalm about joy it's a poem about the exile there's some debate on when this poem is written. Some people say it was written by an Israelite who would have experienced the exile. Others say that David or somebody else wrote it prophetically in advance of, of 
the exile. And, but I want to give you some historical context before you, so that you can understand the poem and where it sits. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the 8th century, Israel is conquered and begins, and begins to lose a bit of its identity of, as a nation uh, by Assyria. And a couple of, I won't get into all the history of captivity and exile, but the, the next two centuries don't really go very well for them. By the 6th century, they were exiled to Babylon, and there is this, this king, Josiah, who was one of my favorite kings, he's the last righteous king. He restores the law to the people of God. He actually reads the lost, like the Torah had been not preserved or cared for or read, and he, has, he, he, he reads it to the people, and he calls them away from the idolatry to return to the Lord, and um, he calls them away from all these other things, and he brings them back to righteousness. But it's because of this sort of unfaithfulness towards God that Israel loses its favor with God, and under, under Jehoiakim, his son, they're conquered, and are, they're exiled, and they're brought into Babylon. And, but, it's, but it's actually important to see how this is fitting in like the world history of the time. Um, Northrop Fry, who's a famous uh, literary critic, talks about Israel's journey like this, that as Abraham left to go from a place that he was to a place that God was leading him, Israel became a nomadic shepherding people, meaning they moved around in tents. It's why initially their, their place of worship was in what? A tent, a tabernacle, but yes, a, a, a tent-based tabernacle. And so Israel was a nomadic people. And this is actually, this, this transition of Israel is representative of a transition that's happening throughout the, the whole known world in the way that civilization gathered. And so they were a nomadic people, and then God was leading them to be an agricultural people. And what, what do you have to do to be an agricultural people? You have to plant seeds in the ground, you have to have roots come up, and you have to stay in a place. You can no longer move around as much because you've got to take care of these, you've got to take care of this, these plants. And then after that, so Israel grew under that context, then after that they became what we call a, an urban people. So they weren't just building farms, they were building cities. And this was a thing that was happening in the whole world. And as cities were built up in the world and as technology developed, it caused for there to be a centralization of empires and powers in the world. Whereas if you look in really ancient history, you have lots of tribes like Israel and others that functioned in ways that were more primitive, and there were much, there were many more languages and tribes, and, and there was decentralization of, of civilization, and people lived more rurally. As the world's coming into this, there were there were powers that became created, and so as um, as uh, Israel is going into Babylonian captivity, you have Greece that started somewhere around the eighth, ninth century, and by the time we're turning into the fifth and fourth century. We have this guy, I've never heard this guy named Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great conquers most of the, uh, um, not most of, a really big chunk of the known world. And that actually, I won't get into this, that actually has an impact on, his, 
on Israel's history, and it paves the way for this, this new empire that we know as Rome. And Rome, ultimately, they have, how many of you remember this Pax Romana? They have this hundreds of years of peace because they've conquered all of these historical people groups that were tribes and nations, and everyone in the world, like a significant number of people in the world who used to rule themselves have now become either captives or exiles. Do you, do you see what I'm, like this is a progress that's happening in the Western world that ultimately at some point in time, most of the Western world was under the empire of Rome. And so it's actually the reason that we read the Bible in Greek and Aramaic is because as these empires were conquering the world, they were sharing this language and cultures were having to give up on their language to trade and buy goods. And so this, this is like the, the story of the world that as Israel is conquered and as they're exiled, God positions them, not just randomly, but in the story of everyone suffering. We're going from a time where everybody had, where these different nations have a degree of autonomy, and now a, a huge percentage of the world is having to give up some portion of the way they've lived to be subjugated under empire. And God doesn't remove his people from this suffering. He actually brings them into an understanding of what it means to be the one on the other end of the deal. Are you with me? Yeah. And so I want you to see, think about like that, that many, many number of people in the world either felt displaced, subjugated, taken over. They might have even stayed in the same place, but they didn't. There was, a, there was a realization that the power was being concentrated to a small number of people. And so I'm going to read to you Psalm 137, which is particularly about exile. It's about them being away, not just being captive, but about them being taken away from their home. And here it goes. I'm going to read the first six verses. And so think about this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the song of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget your Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do, do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my chief, my highest joy. They demanded the songs of joy. A couple weeks ago, we went on a mission trip. And we were trying to prepare ahead of time with skits and writing down our testimonies. We wanted to bless the missionaries by serving them in whatever way, but we also wanted to be prepared to do ministry. And, you know, for some reason, uh, Eden had gotten in her mind and Selah, who were going that they needed to perform Cotton Eye Joe <laughs> and all of the uh, dance motions that go with Cotton Eye Joe. Now, I sat down and had a conversation with Eden and Andrew and I and said, listen, we're here 
to minister to people, and we need to understand that, that this, this may not be their, you know, culture is not in their language, and so we're really here to bless them, and this is not about us. That went in one ear out of the other. Next, <laughs> next practice, we're facilitating a practice of cotton eye Joe dancing. And we kept talking with Eden, and like, hey, you have to understand, this might not, you know, this, this might not be their thing. And, and so, anyway, whatever, they practice the deal, we're getting... We get picked up by the missionary. Missionary's name is Dustin. He's a super sweet guy from Tennessee. Always has a cowboy hat on. Talks like he's definitely from the South. And uh, we enjoy Dustin immensely. He's one of our favorite people. And I'm telling him some different stuff. And I mentioned the Cotton Eye Joes. Telling him that we had, you know, tried to curb their enthusiasm. Um, and he, he's, he was like, Cotton Eye Joe? He was like, oh, he was like, Mexican kids will love Cotton Eye Joe. And so I was like, okay. And so we go on that week. They practice some more times. We get to this, this ministry that we're doing. And they're, they're, you know, they're ministering to the parents and ministering to the kids. And the, um, the kids pastors who run the VBS, they're wanting us to do the skits. And then they're like, you got like a song? And we were like, yeah, we'll do this song. And they're doing Cotton Eye Joe. And, like, all the kids are trying to do the line dancing, you know, we're doing all this. And, like, literally all of the kids got engaged. And they were like, it's like a, it's like a forever minute song. I don't know how long it is. feels infinite. And the kids' pastor is like, hey, run that one back one more time. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to do, like, 30 minutes of Cotton Eye Joe. And it was the most, it was, it was cool. Like, they were, they were trying to figure it out. But it was cool how much joy it released, and man, joy is a powerful thing. A few weeks back when I read this poem, this psalm of exile, part of the Bible journal, I, it's talking about the inability to sing the songs of joy. And I read this and I thought to myself, you know, I think we all have some exile in our hearts. It seems that every person I meet has some sense of abundance or home or joy that they're missing in their life and that they're longing for. There's some sense of like spiritual placelessness that's somewhere deep inside our subconscious. How many of you felt belonging? As I wrote in the journal that day, I put down maybe we are all longing for home. With some memory deep inside of us that there is an abiding place with God. You know, it's, it's the opening story of Genesis that man, after he rebels against God, loses his home. He loses his home. And God spends the rest of this history trying to draw man back home. It's, it's Abraham's journey. 
It says in the text of Genesis, it says in that day a couple times, I think, in the first 10 chapters, it says, you know, no, this may have been later with Samuel, but no, I think it was, yeah, it was in Genesis 2. It says that there was not many people calling on the name of the Lord. But as Genesis 11 opens, God finds a man in Abraham, and he says, I'm going to take you to a home that's going to be yours for generations. It's going to be your offsprings. Maybe this sense of exile is what David is praying when he prays in many different ways in the Psalms. It's my desire to, to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So I want you to see that when Jesus is born, Jesus is born in a particular time in human history. He comes in to a world of captives, exiles, and slaves. Many people have lost their home from every culture. Many people are losing their language, they're losing their tradition, they're losing their identity, and they've certainly lost their autonomy. Jesus comes onto the scene, and when he dies, the veil in the temple is torn as a sign that he has come to the hurting, to the exile, to the captive, to the lost, to the poor, not to the honored and powerful, to come and say, I want to make my home in you. Come and find rest and joy in me. I want to read to you from John 15, which I've read from so often, and I want to, but I want to hit a verse that I haven't hit often. In John 15, 1 through 11, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I want to read this last verse, and I want you to just let this one sit with you. We're going to sit on it for just a second. And, and we, but we won't be long. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. When we went to um, spend time with Ryan and Randy and we were going to take a month off, Randy asked me the question. She said, what are you hoping to learn in this time of rest? Or this, this sabbatical, and I said, "Well, 
I feel like the Lord is teaching me right relationship with the rest of God and the labor of God. I won't preach on that. I've mentioned this in recent weeks. I do believe that John 15, as I've reread it, I, I think I've approached John 15 like it's this passive thing that we just kind of sit in God and that's, that's, that's all we do. Yet, John 15 seems to be going back and forth between two ideas of this resting in the vine and this doing what he commands you to do. It feels strange for, for, for a branch, but Jesus picks the metaphors, not me. And, but I want to say this to you, and I'm not going to preach on this. I believe that in a performance-driven Christian world that many of us grew up in, we've had to let go of that and understand resting in him. But I think that somewhere along the way, we also have to be invited back into the labor of God. And I really believe that abiding in God is resting in God and working with, working with God. That we do what he commands us to do, but rest and remain in his faithfulness. So, not preaching on that this morning. Um, the point of all of this, abiding, this following the commands, resting in him, bearing fruit, it leads in verse 11 to this thought, that ends with a period. I'm appreciative of periods in Scripture. And because Paul has lots of not periods. Um, and it leads to this thought, this is all happening so that your joy, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Some years ago, probably more than a decade, I went to Kansas City to meet this man who had been an elder at the International House of Prayer, and he led this missions movement. And he, uh, he was big involved with house church globally. And they were a part of this initiative that was it's called the Back to Jerusalem Initiative. And the initiative's goal was to raise up 10 million house church, Chinese house church missionaries to walk back the Silk Road to preach the gospel um, in the Middle East, essentially. And there was really like more unreached people in that part of the world than any part of the world. And their goal was, let's raise up 10 million missionaries from China and follow the path to Jerusalem to reach, to reach the world, which is pretty profound. And so they had 30 or 40 of the significant house church leaders, including, um, he wasn't there that day, but including guys like Brother Yoon, they, they had a lot of these people gathered in Kansas City and they were working with how do we collaborate. So some of these people, they, we went in to meet some of these people, and some of these people had led church movements of like a, a million people, that you know, completely underground. But, and I went to meet this one woman, and she was in her 70s. She looked like she was in her 40s. And the, the translator, we didn't really talk much. It was just a brief meeting. Um, told me yeah, she was, she's been in prison for 35 years of her life because of the gospel. She'd been tortured, all the stuff. And I looked at this woman's eyes. For, like I, we, we, we met and talked 
but five seconds. And I saw somebody so full of joy that I still think about it. I had this thought when we were praying this morning. I asked the group to pray for me because I just feel tired today. I am happy, but I feel tired. And it occurred to me that we live in a time where there's more places than ever in human history to find some joy. And it's like in all of the in all of the opportunity of that, it's like there's no way to have fullness of joy. It's why Jesus says that he wants to put his joy in you so that your joy may be full. How many of you feel like the exile sometimes? There's like, how can I sing a song of joy? I don't even feel at home. Okay, joy of the Lord is your strength. So, back to a little history. The joy of the Lord is your strength is in Nehemiah chapter 8. How many of you know what Nehemiah is famous for? Build the wall. Build the wall, that's right. <laughs> that is right. So, we got to back up to Josiah from earlier. Josiah, no, let me, let me say this. Nehemiah chapter 8. The joy of the Lord is your strength is a moment that is stated at the end of a public reading of Scripture. Now, the last time there's been a public reading of Scripture to all of Israel as a country is under Josiah. They had lost the law of God, and they wanted to read it to every man, woman, baby. They stood up. Can you imagine listening to the, all the first five books of the Bible just being read out loud to just a group of people? Like, I don't know. And so they had discovered this. They, they were saying this. And what, was, what needed to happen was a repentance from a people who had, who had walked away from God. So fast forward. They, they, after that point, they... They kind of go after God, and then the next, the next generation of king, they leave God again. They end up in captivity. They end up in exile. And then they get this moment of returning to Jerusalem, and they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the wall. And then Ezra says, or Ezra's called upon the people to gather every person and to read the scripture in front of everybody, just like Josiah did when there was weeping and returning and repentance to the Lord. And so he calls everybody, and people began to weep. They began to respond as they would have responded in a prior time. And then Ezra says, he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send the portions to those who have nothing as prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says to a people encountering 
the newness of God's calling being returned to them as they're coming back from exile, he's saying to them, I don't need you to weep. I need you to celebrate. One of the things that happens, how many of you at all resonated with this feeling when I read the text and I call it out as an exile thing? How many of you have all felt that longing? One of the things that happens in our lives as we become familiar with this longing is that people go deeper. How many of you have met somebody who doesn't know that they have any suffering in their life? And it's like talking to a person that has no depth. All of us, some of us have more suffering, but all of us have pain. And people who are not aware of their pain tend to not be very... Did not you can't have much depth of conversation. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And there's this depth that pe- that you experience in people as they become acquainted with their longing, with their unsettledness, with their pain. But what happens is is that we can come, we can learn to dwell in that place too much that we become consumed by it. I I really believe that the call of the gospel is for us to become aware of our suffering, for us to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, but to come through the cross into resurrection life. That there's actually a hope beneath the pain that goes deeper even than the the suffering we felt. And what we can do when we've been exiled, we felt longing for too long, is that we can gain the wisdom of the exile. And the wisdom of the exile is, don't rejoice. I'm in a foreign land. Don't celebrate. There's, there's, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it might be bad tomorrow. (laughs) We train ourselves to be unmoved. But as the people of God return to the home that these called them to, The leaders of the nation, as the the scrolls are read, call to the people and they say, this is a holy day. And that means go out and party. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. I feel like that God wants to break some people of some exile thinking today. It's okay that you've connected with your longing. It's okay that you've connected with your hurt. It's okay that you've connected to the place in you that is aware that there is lack. But that's not the deepest place. The deepest place is to live in the hope and the joy of the Lord. Jesus called us, according to John 15, to abide in him, To be fruitful so that what? What does all this result to? It results in his joy being in us and that our joy may be full. So I just feel like we're supposed to release joy today. We're supposed to release people from the exiled heart to the one that's full of joy. And I just want to invite you, if you feel compelled to receive more joy, it doesn't have to be everybody, it can be, but if you just feel that the Lord is tugging on your heart as I'm talking about this, to walk in greater joy, I want you to stand. And I'm just going to pray.
I'm going to tell you a testimony as you're standing. I am excited about what God is doing with the church. I've decided that I'm not going to be unexcited. Decided I'm going to be full of joy. Come on now. I feel like even, I'm going to commit this in fact. I feel like even that this next week when we come into this house of worship that there needs to be some dancing. I'm going to dance this next week. <laughs> turning my sermon against me. Um, uh, I feel like God wants to release joy. I, there's a, guys, there's a time for Psalm 137. There's a time for mourning. But guys, also like God, it's it, the thing that Israel needed to understand in this moment of after being beaten over the head for 300 years is not that the seriousness would carry them forward. It's that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. And I, I just want to release joy. And so I just want us I don't know. I want you to like, sometimes we ask you to receive things like this. We'll open hand. I, I feel like God wants to release joy. And I, I don't want you to underestimate. I think that we detach in our modern world. We detach the physical from the spiritual and all these kind of things. But I believe that there's something about, there's a reason that when Moses was lifting his hands, Israel was winning. And when he wasn't, they, they're holding his hands up. There's a reason that men fell down on their face before the Lord. There's a reason that 500 guys fell at the command of Jesus. It's because there's some, like, there's some connection with the physical. And so I want to invite you to posture yourself to receive in a way that communicates joy. Here's what comes to my mind. I'm going to show you. That's what came to my mind. Because if I was an eight-year-old, I would stretch my hands as high as I can. And I'd say, God, I want your joy gift. I want to invite you right now to posture yourself to receive joy. Whatever it looks like. You've got to carry the big television. You can do that. <laughs> Zane's, Zane's doing the, the jumping jack move. I want to get knocked over. And I want you to just begin to pray. God, give me your joy right now. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, come right now and fill us with your joy. Fill us with your joy, Lord. Come on, make that prayer with me. Fill us with your joy, Lord. 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 Right now, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would break off the mindset that thinks we have to be exiled from joy forever. I pray that you would break off the thinking that I will always be longing and never home. I pray that you would release the sense of home. You would release the Holy Spirit on people to receive your joy right now. The kind of joy that will release the strength of God right now in people. Lord, break off demonic attachment to sorrow right now in Jesus' name. Joy come right now. Joy come right now. Joy come right now in Jesus' name.
God, let us be those who can walk with captives and exiles and poor and hurting, that they might be the oaks of righteousness that will rebuild ruined cities, that will restore long devastations, that will renew hearts, God, in Jesus' name. I pray you would release joy in this place right now. God. Jesus. Oh man, I feel something right now. <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. God, we turn our hands to the city of Dallas, Lord. To every hurting heart, God. And we stand with the ministry of Jesus that you have anointed us to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the broken heart, to set free captives and prisoners, God. I pray that you would release us with great joy to sit with those who are hurting. I pray that you would release us with great joy to sit with those who are hurting, God. In Jesus' name. Open our hearts, God. Break us free, Lord. Break us free, Jesus. Um, I just, as we were just reaching towards Dallas, I just saw, just as, um, I think it's from Exodus, sorry, my mind. Um, when the floods were rising and it said it came from gushing under the earth. And I just saw each of us just standing and it coming waters gushing from under our feet and shooting straight up towards the heavens and just covering the earth. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that we don't partner with things that are not ours, God, that we partner with things that are, are heaven-bound, that are kingdom-bound, that are from our foundation, from under our feet, God, that you have dominion over every space over every principality, God. And we claim, Lord, even this in our families and in our lives. The one thing that I, I remember a long time ago, Jordan was saying that sometimes we partner with things that were not supposed to be ours, that were something from our family. That I, And I just, I was brought back to that remembrance, the things that hinder our joy could be things that were not even yours to begin with. Search your heart and release those things so that you can be a well for the Holy Spirit. I want us to make room for his joy right now. I just asked Savannah lead us in this. I want us to like get in that joy posture right now. If you lift your hands, you've got to be the silly eight-year-old. We're going to make room for him right now. Joy, come right now, Jesus' name.
We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening. Thank you.